Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. And good evening, Brother Nathan. And I want to thank those who opened the door for us this evening to listen to the program. We are going to jump into any questions that have come in and our topic of corporal punishment, which we began last week. We want this program to be as practical and effective as possible, and one of the best ways to do that is to be discussing things that are being discussed in your own personal life, whether it's around the dinner table, whether it's on the commute to and from work, maybe it's something you hear on the bus, maybe it's something that a coworker has asked you. We look forward to being able to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. Uh, Pastor, I'm going to start us out with a word of prayer before we jump into tonight's episode. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to use technology to spread the gospel, to share the truth about the gospel, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has all of the answers to the questions that we have in life. I thank you that it is a living word, that it is practical, that it is just as practical today as it was when it was written many, many years ago. I ask that you would clear Pastor's mind, help him to answer the questions that are presented, and help him to be able to recall information that he has read or studied even many years ago. I ask that everything that is said and done tonight would be for your honor and glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We have a question that has come in uh, from Antigua. It is it was quite lengthy. It was a video testimony of an ex-Satanist named John Ramirez. And I'm not going to play the whole thing because it was would take up uh, over a third of our program. But I've got just a couple of minutes that I would like to play of the program just to set the context and then ask a follow-up question from a listener. And I move up the ranks from devil worshipping. I move up the ranks. I move up with principalities and demons to the point that I was able to sit with the devil like I'm sitting with you today. And the devil manifests himself in human form. He or the president will come into the room and I will speak to the devil all night long. And he will give me assignments. I will go to five clubs or five lounges a night to look 
for people to recruit to the dark side. I will tell people their fortune. I will tell people their lives. I will tell people things that they did, things that was gonna happen to them, that then they had no clue who I was. They didn't know who I was. I just had the demonic powers. I had a taste for blood. I would, I would kill animals and drink the blood every week. I will, if I didn't have money to, if I didn't have time to buy an animal, I would cut myself and drink my own blood. The ring of, 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 of the people that I was with that was in this demonic world, doctors, lawyers, uh, principals, judges, police officers, they were all into witchcraft. There was all, even singers today that are very well known. I put them, I, I would move principalities from that region to control all demons on the ground to operate, to, church, to cut down the church, to cut down the, the, the growth of the church, to cut down the, 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 the opportunity for people to get saved. I would, I would be drunk, I'd come out of a club and I would have demon possessed, drunk, I would stand in the middle of the street and say, God, come down. You want some of this? You want me to slap in your face? You want me to spit in your face? You come and mess with me. And later in the video, uh, just another quick excerpt, uh, he talks a little bit more about what I guess I would say would be his salvation testimony, and then we will ask the question that a listener sent in. One day I was sitting home, and it was amazing. For the first time I heard a voice say to me, son, I am coming soon. What are you gonna do with your life? An audible voice, shot from, a, from across the room. I knew the voice of the devil. I was sitting with the devil like I'm sitting with you today. And this voice was very different than any other voice. I, I, and then I saw a vision from, from the other side of the apartment that the, the sky was on fire and people on the knees. I saw people running for cover, but there was no cover where to hide. And I went to sleep. I ended up in a train full of people. I couldn't believe that I was in a train full of people. And it went into hell. And Jesus Christ took me to hell. So as I, as I went deep into the tunnel of hell, hoping that there was a door, a window, a crack somewhere that I can get out, the devil showed up against and now we'll destroy you. He went to grab me the second time around. The cross of Jesus Christ appeared in hell. There's no greater love than the cross that would come for sinner like me in hell. Jesus Christ loved the misfit. And he said, I have a plan for you. I love you beyond you can ever imagine. And he showed up in hell. And when I woke up, then my spirit came back into my body. I woke up and I bent my knee to Jesus Christ. And Pastor, the listener who sent in that video says, Good night, Pastor. I want to know if what I'm hearing is true. What do you think about this? Well, I don't know what to say, to be honest with you. It sounds very sensational. Um, one thing that kind of concerned me, he seemed to be, it's almost like a boasting of what he used to be. There's no real, if I had gone to an experience like that and I had done the things that he said, I think it'd be a little bit more compassionate and, and, and much more reserved. I'm not too sure if it's a cultural thing. He sounds like he's Spanish and therefore he's more exuberant. But um, I, I can't say yes. But I do know this, that what he has said, a lot of what he said, is, is, is very hap real when it comes to the satanic world. The guy, Anton LaVey, for example, in California that has a satanic church, I mean, they do uh, um, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of sacrifices, etc., etc. And there's no doubt there's powerful spirit beings uh, that seem to be operative on planet Earth. It's as though the devil knows his time is short, 
and now you have this revival of, uh, almost in in the occult in in, in demonism and witchcraft uh, especially the new age movement but um, you know the idea of being taken to hell again I, I can't speak to that I've never had that kind of an experience I'm not saying it's impossible um, and I think that God can intervene in a person who's gone that far into demonism and into satanic worship. I think it takes a drastic measure to, to move a person to faith. And it's not beyond God to do something supernatural and unusual to get his attention to bring him out of that situation. The other thing, the fact that he mentioned that there were lawyers and doctors and other persons who were involved in this occult business. I mean, I think if I had come out of that and I knew people in high positions who were part of this demonic thing, I'd be inclined to expose it, to be very honest with you. I, I would not be just uh, mute and, and silent. Uh, I don't know the dangers of that, but I, I just couldn't see myself knowing these type of people involved in this kind of activity and without alerting uh, the public uh, about what's really going on. But it's a, it's a hard uh, matter to speak about, um, and I just, uh, I'm inclined to believe most of what he said. But it's just the way he's saying it and the nonchalant way he's saying it as doing the boasting, etc., uh, etc. Et that bothers me a little bit because I think he should be a lot more humble and much more careful and watchful uh, and much more cautious. And I would say much more compassionate in the way he, he talks about these things in his past. But again, I, I don't know if, if it's a cultural thing that that's the way that Spanish would, would speak on these matters. Um, I would say to you that um, just look at what he's saying. He's come out of that situation, and he's saying that he's put his faith and trust in Christ. Uh, and if we take what he's saying as true, you would understand that there's no person in any condition, no matter how far they've gone in the occult or satanic worship, that is beyond hope and beyond rescue. And the answer, of course, is Christ and Christ alone. But these are things that are happening currently. Um, a lot of evil is happening, especially in the New Age movement. There are people today who are writing books, uh, and they're channels of, of, in other words, they, they're going to an unconscious state and a, a trance, and they, they, it's dictated to them through what is called ascended masters and avatars. And these are people who write, write this kind of stuff. I don't doubt that it's happening, but it's, it's the amount of demonic powers that are uh, masquerading as some kind of supernatural beings that have ascended and gotten a higher consciousness and therefore know more than the average person. I think behind this whole thing is the deceptive power of Satan, and we ought to not uh, engage in it. We ought to stay away from it. We ought to expose it. And we got to understand that if you really want power, it's the power of the cross and Jesus Christ. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air, one 462 7420 The phone line is open and available. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text, send it to one 782 Last week, we began a topic which has begun become very uh, controversial. It has been discussed in private homes, in the realm of politics, in the school setting, uh, possibly even in church settings, and it's that of corporal punishment. There has been some truth out there, but there's also been a lot of confusion, and some of that confusion is caused by misquoting of the Bible, not quoting verses in context. And I know in previous uh, episodes, uh, actually a couple years ago, Pastor, you did a 
a couple of episodes about the importance of interpreting Scripture in the context, and there was a number of other guidelines. As we talk about corporal punishment, does the Bible approve the use of corporal punishment as a means of discipline? I don't think anybody can um, objectively and honestly read the Scriptures, especially the book of Proverbs, which is one of those practical books that gives us life wisdom and what we ought to do if we're going to be successful in life. Uh, it is very, very clear when you read uh, the, the Scriptures, uh, especially the Proverbs sections and also the Ephesians and other pa- passages, that <laughs> God definitely has endorsed and sanctioned corporal punishment. I don't think that's a matter of debate. Uh, the attempts that are being made recently uh, to reinterpret biblical passages to fit them in line with the cultural way of thinking I think it's a complete distortion of biblical uh, uh, interpretation. I think it's twisting scripture. And I (laughs) believe that the reason for all of this uh, trying to in some way justify um, the fact that the Bible doesn't teach corporal punishment, I think it is all based on trying to come up with modern psychology. uh, Because they're actually saying that if you use corporal punishment, you're going to damage the... the, um, the psychology of the, the child. Uh, you're going to cause this personality to be warped. They're saying that it's inhumane, and they're also suggesting that when you do that, you make children more violent and more tend more tend to, to hit other people. All that is ludicrous. I think anyone who has been brought up in the Caribbean uh, would would know that uh, there's no way that uh, licks and and um, uh, corporal punishment has ever make you more violent or make you more uh, aggressive and, and hate women, etc., etc. I think that's completely bogus. Experience would tell us that that's not true. When you say licks, you're talking about appropriate licks, not yeah, necessarily I'm talking abuse. About, yeah, I'm not talking about We'll talk about that when we, when we talk about um, dealing. How do you go about actually dealing and giving um, uh, corporal punishment? But uh, we all know that um, anything can be abused. Yeah. And we all know that. Uh, in, a, in, a, in the West Indian context, that has really been something that's been happening again and again. Um, you know, I am not too sure how many parents uh, know how to properly discipline the child with a rod or with a belt uh, or with a paddle. Um, I've seen myself uh, parents come to the school where we have a Christian school. I've seen a parent already grab a child out of the um, out of the compound. I've seen her cuff him in his back. I've seen her slap him in his face. I've seen her take her out his car and pound his head on the on the um the, the, the hood of the, the vehicle. Uh I actually called the, the, the uh found out who it was, uh called the father and I told him exactly what happened and I told him quite frankly that if that ever happened again I see it, I will take her to court and I will I will stand and represent the little boy, etc. He gave all kinds of excuses, but it, that was not discipline, that was brutality, that was abuse, and it was done so publicly I said to myself, well if she does that to him in public, wow. only God knows what she would do with him in, uh, do, do, do what she does with him in private. It was brutal, I'm telling you it was brutal. So I am aware that that happens, but the fact is there's a psychological bias against uh, biblical Christianity, and uh, a lot of it has to do with humanistic uh, psychology, which is basically an atheistic doctrine where it, they believe that uh, religion and Christianity um, is an encumbrance to human development, and somehow it, 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 uh, it twists the human personality. They call it the opium of the people, to be very honest with you. So it, it's a psychological bias 
uh, that's against uh, Christianity. And because they're aware that the Bible does teach about uh, corporal punishment, uh, the attack on corporal punishment really is an attack on the authority of the Scriptures. So I think the best way we can do this, uh, Nathan, is to look at the Scripture themselves and see exactly what the Bible teaches on that matter. And I think that last week uh, we began by, I pointed out that the word rod, uh, that is being interpreted to mean uh, verbal discipline, is designed to mean direction and guiding the child, uh, that that is a complete distortion of what the, the word really is. I, I mentioned that in the Hebrew language, the word that is used there in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, is the word Shabbat. And that word has to do, the root meaning has to do with a branch or a stick or a scion or um, a, a whip, basically. That's what it really means. Uh, and while the, 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 the origin of the word and the etymology of the word is important, as I pointed out last time, what really defines a word is not just the origin of the word or the etymology of the word. It has to do with the context of the word and how it is used. Uh, because the reason why it is being said that the word um, has to do with the shepherd rod. It didn't refer to that. Because the same word, Shabbat, is the same word that uh, has different meanings. And uh, it can mean, for example, a writing stylus, a rod to write with. It can mean uh, a, a scepter, uh, how a king would rule with a scepter. We don't do that today. It could also mean a shepherd's rod. But it also has to do, I do it could be a fighting rod, a rod of fighting stick, but it also is a, 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 a stick of discipline. So it all depends on the context of the passage that defines and determines what the, the word means. And when you... Um, Look into the Bible in those contexts where we find that word. Uh, I do not see how any reasonable, sensible person um, could uh, doubt that the Bible does endorse and sanction corporal punishment. Let's take a, a look at some of these verses, Nathan. Look at uh, Proverbs 23, verse 13. Proverbs 23, verse 13 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. So again, you know, the word correcting the child, how are you going to correct him in this passage? It's very clear <laughs> that they tell you the correction is to use a... And the word beat means a strike, basically, that's okay. what it means. Uh, but here it's telling you that uh, don't withhold, withhold correction. And then it tells you if you strike him uh, with a rod, he's, he's not, not going to die. Yeah. Uh, so it is very, very clear that part of correction, not, not, not all correction is the use of corporal punishment, but in the case here, it legitimizes and sanctions the use of the rod to correct the child. So we can't say we can all only correct him by using verbal language. Uh, and that's the mistake people are making. They'll now want us to do it with all kinds of corporal punishment and just use verbal language. And that's a massive mistake because there are times when a child needs to be whipped. There's no question about that. I would have not met a parent, if he's honest or she's honest, uh, who would uh, deny the fact that just talking to a child is not enough. There are times when they have to use pain, and pain is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us, because most of us uh, stop doing things that cause pain, and that's why uh, it is so effective as a means of discipline. What about instead of, yes, for those who say, yes, you can't just use a look or a word to reason with the child, but you withhold their favorite snack or you withhold their recess time, <coughs> is that enough? No, I think that it depends on the stage of development of the child. For example, pretty much I don't think a child ought to be beaten after 12 years old, whipped. 
with a rod, okay, or with a belt, whatever. I think by then the child should be so disciplined that he fears the rod and he's now compliant. So I am not a type of person that really think a child needs to be whipped after 12 or 13. Uh, I think that's where the verbal ke- verbalizing coming. And, and by the way, this is all in line with Piaget's development theory about uh, children, that at a certain age, you have what you call um, cognitive, th- cognitive thinking. Uh, children think in concrete forms long before they think cognitively. But at his, the, the, what happens, if you look at his um, theories of, of human development, you'll see that at age 12 and following is the cognitive period. That's the period that you begin to talk, you begin to reason with a child because he's now using his, and he can think abstractly. So it falls in line even with modern psychology. But the idea that you just withhold a thing from a, child, a small child or you just um, reward him and therefore that's all that he needs, that is a denial of scripture. The Bible recognizes that children need the rod. So I'm not saying there are not other means to, to be used, but I think you have to look at the age of the child, the development of the child. And by the way, some children are born almost pliable, hmm. docile, almost all they, you need for, all they need is a look from you because they look, want to be affirmed by mom, they want to be accepted. There's some that are born headed for hell, to be very honest. As though they, they believe the whole world, con- they control the whole world, they're, not, they're rebels. They don't, so children are different. And that's why you have to leave this uh, possible possibility of using the rod. You just can't ban it and put a moratorium that the parents can't use it and teachers can't use it. Some kids need it. Okay? But, uh, but you notice there that <laughs> the Bible said he's not going to die. In other words, um, he might act and convulse and scream and shout, but all he's doing basically is is designed to create sympathy and uh, on the mother's part or the father's part uh, because he doesn't want painful consequences. Now, here's the problem. Once he learns that screaming and shouting and almost says, I'm dying, I'm dying, once he knows that stops you, you've now reinforced him. So every other time you want to deal with him, how you think he's going to stop you, even before you, 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 you punish him, he begins to scream and to shout, etc., etc., because by reinforcing that negative behavior, you've actually emboldened him to use it against you. But no, Proverbs there very clearly <coughs> um, recommends that you use a rod. My mom uh, would use a tamarind rod. Some, the, my headmaster would use a bamboo and um, generally speaking, most people use a belt. I think that if you want to do it uh, and without any kind of marks or whatever, inflict pain, I think a paddle is probably the best thing to do. And I think the best place to do it is on the buttocks. That's where the Lord gave you that big piece of meat right there. So that's where the discipline should be. And it's very, very sensitive as well. So I think that's where it should be. But the, 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 um, you can't uh, in any way discountenance the biblical um, affirmation that uh, the, the using of the rod uh, is legitimate and, and uh, God in, in allows it. Look at another verse. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 14. <clears throat> 23, 14 says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Again, the word there, beat, it's the word strike him with the rod. That's to use the rod to discipline the child. And notice that it said you'll deliver his life or his soul from, from where? Hell. Oh. This is a child who is uh, rebellious, a child that is own wish, a child that is very strong-willed, and a child that is bent on going in the wrong direction. And the book of Proverbs says to you, the rod 
can help you to cause him to turn around and change the direction which he's going. So if you don't have this as a means and an avenue uh, and uh, a means of helping you the, the, with the discipline of the child, you are creating a deficiency of the disciplinary method uh, within the home and within the school. Again, I think this whole thing, because it has happened <coughs> to these um, two teachers or whatever, these two kids, I think that's an overreaction. And I think that wisdom would cause us to be more cautious in trying to put a moratorium banning this thing altogether because you are taking away an effective tool that God says can actually uh, deliver the child from hell. In other words, it's going in the wrong direction and the rod is the way that to use it. That doesn't mean that there are not other methods you must try, talk to him, encourage him. But again, if that's not working... Uh, the Bible says that, well, this one would, would certainly help in the process. But again, notice that the rod is mentioned. Look at Proverbs 29. Question about that verse sure. that we just did. Proverbs <laughs> twenty three fourteen. I have heard it said in recent discussions with people that uh, we know that it's salvation and the child's heart and his decision to follow Jesus Christ that saves him from hell. Mm -hmm. So therefore, this is kind of a proverbial uh, analogy, and therefore that same loose uh, language could be, should be applied to early in the verse where it says the rod. It doesn't really mean a rod to hit the child. It means a shepherd's staff to guide them. No, How would you respond to that? The answer is very simple. It's the same word that's used in Proverbs 23, 13, is chapter 20. For how it means one thing there, it means something else different in verse 14. Notice that verse 13 runs into verse 14. Yeah. You know, uh, In other words, any author that you want to find out how he's using the word, you see how he use it in the context. If you use it in verse 13 and verse 14, in the same context of discipline, it can't mean one thing above and one thing below. That is a distortion of, of a proper biblical interpretation. The other thing is this. What if it's true that the child comes to faith through in Jesus Christ, but on his own will? The point that is being made here is that the, the parent must help to shape that will. Mm. That's, that's the point that's being made, to help direct. Look, children are not but naturally headed to heaven when they, when they come out of the womb. They're actually headed to hell. There is an inborn sinful nature in every person that is born. The Bible says uh, the wicked are, go away from the, from the time they leave the womb, like sparks fly up, basically. It's a natural inclination towards wrong. But the point is that God has given the parents the right to try to shape that will and to shape that child's life. You just don't leave that child as he is. And one of the tools that God has given to the parent, quite frankly, is the rod. So the idea that this is a shepherd's rod is a, it's actually a, a complete false interpretation if you read uh, chapter, uh, the same verse, chapter 23, verse 13 and 14. They're all dealing with the same thing, and this word means the same thing in both contexts. So um, it's false interpretation of that particular passage. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's coming from Dominica. Good night. I have a question based on the discussion earlier tonight. If you have a family member who is in a cult, but the member want to assist the person to come out, what should be the best way to go about it? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, it depends on what what uh, particular cult group they're in or what part of it. There are some people that, some that I don't know if it's a, they're in a clannish group, you know, they're people that come together and they live within a, uh, a commune and there are certain protective measures that are taken that you can't have access to it. Um, I know sometimes even in America, because of some of these cultic groups, they get into a commune where they have a compound, they live together, and parents have a hard time. Once a child turns like 18 or almost an adult, there's nothing much the parent can do because the child is perceived as a, an adult person, and 
is on our own cognizance and can make our own decisions. So I'm not too sure uh, what you mean by what you can do in that regard. I would um, try, if I had a family member that was in a a, a cultic movement that I felt was wrong, uh, I will try to have... um, have them over at my home or visit them, and I will try to discuss issues to try to, if, especially if you can choose the Bible to show them where their particular belief is not correct. I think you can you can do that, but you can't grab them and, and get them out of in there if they're at an age where they can make their own decisions. Uh, you've got to use truth to deal with error, and that's about the best. And of course, get a prayer team, uh, get a group in your church or other group of Christians that you know. And uh, one of the things I would suggest to you, if you've got any shut-ins within your church, that is a ministry for the shut-ins because they can't attend church. But what a ministry that is to say to them, you know, uh, I want your, your, your ministry in our church is prayer. Uh, they've got all the time on their hand, and they're, most of them are, are quite old, and most of them had a, a good godly life, uh, and at this final stage, they feel useless because they can't come to church. But here's a ministry that is vital. So... But I think the best thing is to get the to get information to that person, um, use the scriptures, um, try not to demean them, uh, act with them very compassionate, and, and show them love. Show them, show them that in spite of everything, you care about them, you love them, and uh, keep praying to the Lord and keep giving them truth, and ask God to help that their eyes would be open. If you find that you're deficient and you're not doing as an effective job, get somebody that you know that is perhaps more competent than you are and suggest that that person come with you or visit the person, uh, etc. The other thing is that there are a lot of websites online that if the person is really searching for truth, there are websites that can answer a lot of their questions in in regards to several cults. Uh, There's one called CARM that is... um, um, can't remember what that acronym means, but if you check it up, C-A-R-M, uh, all capital letters, that's an, uh, an apologetic uh, Christian group. There's also the Christian Re- uh, Creation Research Institute that also has an ap- apologetic branch of their 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 ministry. And there are others. Um, probably if you contact me, I can give you some others, but I think those are very, very useful. The Christian Apologetic and Research Ministry is what CARM stands for. Looks like they have a very useful website that I pulled up there. Yeah, it's very useful. I saw a quote this last week that said, uh, it's rare that I hear someone say that they became a Christian because someone won an argument against them. I came. It's often that I see that someone became a Christian because the love of Christ was shown to them. And it was a good reminder that you know sometimes it's you want to just argue and you want to win a discussion with someone, but that's not necessarily the best way to go. Yeah, someone said you win the argument, you lose a soul. But I think if you give them, uh, try to give them information, uh, and if they can do some own, their own research. But uh, prayer is vitally important in this whole matter, and uh, because these people are blinded. You know, I, I myself, I'm so puzzled how people living in a modern age with an open Bible with so many f- information available how people can actually in, believe some of the nonsense that they believe. Imagine that you're praying to the dead. You think about that for just a moment. It's <laughs> the most appalling thing I can I can conceive of. Uh, you're praying for the dead. Uh, or you're born before an idol uh, of an image of somebody. I just, I, it, just, it just baffles me that, uh, or that um, wine can become blood, or that bread can become flesh. 
I mean, when you it it's tastes like wine, it, it it tastes like bread. That's what it is. But because uh, of some statement that is made by some person who's supposed to have some power, you just go against everything that uh, quite clearly is, is um, tells you the very opposite. Those are things that bother me as well. Uh, so. We are already in the age of confusion, and um, it's, it's very pathetic that people are not have an open Bible, but they're not uh, taking advantage of it. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. For this program, we are also on Facebook. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed. You can listen to the program there, and you can also communicate with us right there on your device through the comments section. You can call and ask your question live on the air, 1-268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp and text your question to us at 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, do you have any other verses? Yeah, Proverbs 29, 15 is another important verse that emphasizes this matter of the corporal punishment. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now here are the two forms of uh, training a child. You notice the rod and what? Reproof. Here is the physical aspect, the rod uh, corporal punishment and reproof, which is the verbal aspect, and notice that both of them are combined. So it's very, very clear that to, to, to say that the rod is the same thing as verbal um, counsel or verbal training is, is completely wrong in this passage. It's very clear that the two methods to be used, uh, and, and so on. <laughs> and then the Bible says a child left himself would bring his mother shame. So failure to discipline the child has dire consequences for the mother, especially if she is self-indulgent and she used the, the emotional hysteria that he demonstrates when she's uh, applying corporal punishment and she withholds it from the child. Um, the Bible says, quite frankly, in the long term, she's probably going to regret that because, again, if you withhold corporal punishment from a child who deserves it because of his history and his scream and his trauma and his bad behavior, you're reinforcing that that behavior will be rewarded. And uh, if you, you may not know what's happening, but that's exactly how a child thinks. So uh, Proverbs warns you here, uh, to, if you are going to avoid shame in the future, and the fact that your child is probably going to end up um, maybe a delinquent or doing something that is illegal or engaged in some activity that will bring um, great cost to yourself. Uh, Proverbs says, be very careful, use the rod and also use reproof. Notice the rod and reproof. That's why I said to you that discipline is not exclusively using the rod. You have to know exactly when to use the rod and when to use reproof. But both of them uh, should be used in the process of discipline. Another verse, Nathan, is uh, Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall delight unto thy soul. Again, you see the word correct? It's the same word, yasar, that we get the word um, discipline from and the rod from, basically. It means to chasten with, with, with uh, blows. It means to chasten, to, to punish. So that's what it means there when it says to correct. Same word, basically. Then Proverbs 13, 12. 24. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him 
chasteneth him betimes. Again, notice the word rod and chastening. Now, the, the word rod, you see the word um, here, rod and chastening? It's from the same word, yesar, basically. So that is, and then notice that it said that uh, if you don't do it, it's it, it, not, not that you love your child, you what? But it's the very opposite today. People think, but if I if I use the rod and I use corporal punishment, I don't love my child. <laughs> it's the most bizarre, twisted thinking I've ever heard. It's the very opposite of what God says. That's because we don't know what love is any longer. We think love is something that's mushy, something that's sentimental, and if it involves any kind of hurt or pain, it is not love. But God loves us, so yet God chastens us. Okay, uh, when it says that the person hates the child, it really means that the person acts in such a way as one who desires ruin for the child. That's what it's really talking about. So when you don't discipline a child using the the rod, etc., God says it's like you, if you it's like you don't want the best for your child. Basically, uh, it's an indication of that. And then notice that, that he that that what verse twenty four, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. See that word betimes? It means two things. It means early. Okay. And it also means diligently. So that word has two, two concepts. You don't wait until it's too late to discipline the child. The person who loves the child discipline them very early in life, and it is very diligent. It's very consistent in dealing with, with uh, the child. So that also is an indication that at a very early stage, uh, you need to ex- start beginning to exercise this. How do you define early? Well, look, uh, a child, basically, um, you can probably start maybe hitting the the child's hand, uh, um, age two, age three, basically. Uh, But there's a a great period between three and four that's very, 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 very crucial, uh, quite frankly. And you need to curb the child at that, that age, age three and four. Now, if the child comes to age seven, and you haven't been able to control the child, you're in real trouble hmm. because 80% of his character is already formed by age seven. So if you wait until age seven, the child turns eight, then say that, well, let me just put my hand down on you now. That's the mistake that parents make all the time. They let the child have their own way, then they become teenagers. Boy, and now they, they want to go to parties, they want to run around with guys, and mommy says and daddy says, let me put down my feet. It's too late, too late, right? Too, far too late. Uh, so you have to do it uh, very, very, very early. Uh, start it early when you talk about discipline. Mickey, oh, sorry. A uh, question from a listener, Pastor Murphy. Is it sin to not discipline your child appropriately with the rod? I would I would say to him, but do it for right and do it not to him in the sin. Okay. So if the Lord has given you the instruction to discipline your child, you don't, and the child turns out bad, it has to be sin because you know what's right and you're not doing what's right. If God gives you an instruction, He expects you to obey that instruction. And uh, so I think that God is going to hold us accountable for children. I do think that parents sin when they do not exercise the proper discipline of the children, and then the children turn out rotten, and then they go to school, to raise hell in school. And uh, not only do they affect the teacher, they affect the other students who are trying to learn because they have not been disciplined at home. So I do think that parents who neglect discipline is actually committed sin. Proverbs nineteen eighteen, another good one. Uh, Proverbs nineteen eighteen reads as follows: Chasteneth thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Again, the Bible is warning you there's a window of opportunity 
where the child is still pliable and where discipline is applicable and can bring about change in the child. That window of opportunity must be seized because it's warning you there comes a time where no matter how much discipline you give, the hope is gone. I've had situations where um, I've had to counsel uh, parents with children and they expect that somehow that you're a miracle person, Pastor, you can solve the problem. Mm. But it waits so long. The child is now 13, the child is still 14, etc. There's not much you can do with a child if he has not had discipline uh, uh, within the first seven years of his life. You can talk to him, you can reason with him, but quite frankly, you, you really have an uphill battle with a child if you have not having under. If a child doesn't fear the rod by A7, you got hell after A7. Just put it that way, okay? And that's why you need to try to... And, you, and by the way, you don't need... To, shouldn't need... When I talk about the rod, <laughs> you don't have to use the rod often, you know. You just have to use it effectively. That's the key thing. So when you're not using the rod, people say, well, you're beating for everything. No, 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 no. Uh, how much time... Oh, I don't know. I could probably count on my fingers the times I've beaten my, my children, three of them together. But they feared the rod. Yeah. Right? Because when I when when they got it, they didn't want it again. Quite frankly, so so we're not suggesting to you that you have to use it daily and re- whatever it is, you has to be done. And when you do, do give them a whipping, they must go away feeling that they got a whipping. Not that you brush fight flies off of them, but quite frankly, that there was some pain and consequences. So, but Proverbs uh, nineteen eighteen. Chasing a child while there's hope, warning you there's a time frame within which you must use uh, the rod to deal with your child. And again, the word chasing here is the same word you saw that we got over there with the rod and also means um, correction. Same word that is used here. <coughs> and and he um, said, don't allow your soul to spear him for this. Watch, watch, what? Crying. See, children know that. Mm. I don't know of a parent who loves to whip a child. I've never taken delight. In, in whipping my child, to be quite frankly, I'm not that inclined. Uh, but again, it has to be done. It's for his best. It's, his way. it's like a, a doctor giving a child injections. You think a child likes injections? You think the doctor likes to see him crying? No, but it's something that's needed. Uh, most of the things that we like are not good for us. Most of the things we don't like are far better for us. And sometimes we have to let the child know, listen, you're going to cry. And uh, but this is what you've done. You're gonna get it. And uh, once you, the child is aware that his crying and his hysteria and his trauma uh, is not gonna deter you from giving correction. Sooner or later, it gets through to him that this isn't working. This isn't working. So you'll find that that begins to go. But uh, again, this warning here. Then Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Again, uh, it's not talking about childishness now in a child, okay? Uh, you know, you don't beat a child because you spill his juice. You don't beat a child because you've got your china in the wrong place on the front house table. You know you've got a small child, but you expect him to be an adult. So he is attracted by age one and two. Everything around him is, is of interest to him. He's exploring. And that's his way of troubling everything. But now you've got, you know, you want him to act like a 20-year-old. So you've got your fancy stuff there on the center table, or you've got it on the, uh, where you've got your television, and then he pulls it down and you break it, breaks it. And then you, 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 you just give him a whole 
gamut of, of lash, lashes. That's not <laughs> what they're talking about here. The child is exploring. If you know you've got a little child, take everything that can be broken where he can reach it. And his right is to explore. That's what he's doing as a child. He's, trying, he's using sensors. That's the only thing he knows. So it's not a thing to beat him. That is fo- that is childishness in a child. Uh, what about <coughs> when he says something embarrassing, maybe very honest, but he says it in the supermarket, and you were surprised, and therefore you, you give him a beating. That's being childish. He, hasn't, he doesn't even know the repercussions of what he said sometimes. Uh, you've got to be very careful about that. Um, what about drawing on the wall? Uh, again, how old is he? You know, your two-year-old drawing on the wall, you're going to beat him for drawing on the wall? Uh, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. What if you've already talked with them and they are doing it repetitively? Well, again, that depends. It depends on if it's a matter of rebellion, that okay. you told me to do it, and it's very, very clear that because you told me to do it, you're going to do it. The other thing is, why don't you... Um, um, stick a piece of paper across the wall at his height where he can, can actually still do one because this is the age of exploration he's not he's not willfully going in there and saying well I, I see a wall I can't mark it up to him this is this is just a sensory thing that he's doing but it's, it's not a deliberate act of rebellion but if after one he <coughs> spoke to him several times you hit his hand eventually uh, he guessed the message is not the thing to do but again you've got to be very very careful about that um what about when they cut their own hair? Uh, you know, you're going to beat him because he cut his own hair? To him, that's, that's fun. Uh, I'm just saying that Proverbs is not talking here about childish things that children do, that ch- parents brutalize their children for. Um, Proverbs is talking, when it's talking about foolishness, it's talking about pe- children who don't listen. Mm-hmm. It's talking about children who are rebellious. It's talking about children who are so self-willed. And he's also talking people who have a disrespect for God and sacred things. That's what he's talking about here. So don't take this first to mean because my child is childish, the rod would drive that out of him. That's not what he's talking about here. So be very, very careful uh, how you interpret that particular verse. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 16 and a half minutes after 8 p.m. You're listening to That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We look forward to your interaction. You can call and be put live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp and text your question to one 268 782 one four five four. We are talking tonight about corporal punishment, a topic that has become very widely discussed here in Antigua in recent weeks, recent months. And if you have a question in relation to that topic, feel free to contact us. If your question is not related to this topic, still, please contact us. We'll take a brief detour, answer your question from the Bible, and then return to the topic Pastor Murphy, uh, do you have any other verses you want to share or you want to move on? No, I think that um, should be adequate. I don't think we need to. I mean, the other verses we could look at, for example, there's a verse in um, Hebrews chapter 12, but how God deals with us. And what I think is important in that section, we talk about God chastens us, and it says that because our parents chastened us, we respected them. Hmm. Uh, so if you want respect from your kids, very clear passage, a uh, scripture told the fact that uh, it's out of that discipline, chastening a child that de- develops respect. 
so I think that's an, it's linked there, and also it's also linked with love. The Lord uh, chastens those whom He loves. And the third thing that's there, Nathan, is that it gives a child security. It, it, it tells a child that I'm a son. If I don't get discipline, he said, we are bastards. So the security that I, my mom loves me and my dad loves me and that I'm part of the family is the fact that I'm actually disciplined. Fascinating verse, quite frankly. But that's where a child gets security from. That I can't get away with everything I, I do. Uh, mom loves me enough and daddy loves me enough that they're going to have some consequences. That gives security and children want security. Pastor, what about the abuse <coughs> of corporal punishment? Is there any validity to that claim? I don't think there's any doubt that there's, uh, you know, we must take these complaints that are being made uh, uh, seriously. Uh, we must take, we know that these warnings are valid. I think they should be heeded. But I think the error that is being made, that the consequence that results from the, the excessive punishment of a few people, is now being cited as justification for a complete moratorium or elimination of corporal punishment altogether. I think that's where the mistake is. And I think uh, it seemed to me ridiculous and, and uh, unwise for that to be the conclusion as a result of the offense of one or two people. But there's no question about it. There are uh, There's a lot of abuse that takes place. And I think that when it comes to the school, Nathan, I think that one, I would suggest one or two, 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 one or two things. Number one, I think there should be an educational tribunal that deals with these cases when they do occur. Uh, or uh, I think the law court should deal with it. Or the minister should have an adjudicator that goes into the school if, if something happens that is really abusive and deal with it. And I think there should be some kind of financial penalty. Or I think the the, uh, the teacher or the principal should be suspended. I do think there should be real dire consequences when this does happen. But the idea that you just remove this valuable means of discipline from all the schools because two people have done it is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. And to my mind, um, it's not worthy of wise people who are leading the country or leading the educational institution. I really think they need to rethink this matter uh, more carefully and more thoughtfully because I, I don't... And I, if there are people in the Ministry of Education who believe the Bible as well, I would recommend that they go into the Bible uh, and help it to guide their thinking. The problem today, of course, that most people have done educational psychology and uh, come back to these to take up positions in these leadership roles is that they've already brainwashed and they part off everything they've been told they regurgitate everything they said without even carefully examining uh, and judging those things and weighing those things against the Bible if they're, especially if they're Christians it's as though their Christianity only exists in the church and they don't understand that any psychological doctrine or teaching that is contrary to scripture is false it's wrong uh, but if you it depends on how you view your Christianity how you view the Bible and I find that what we have to there's a lot of nominal Christians a lot of cultural Christians but not really serious biblical authentic Christians and that's where the problem lies and that creates a problem for me because I always hear people say we are a Christian nation and hmm. you know, I hear PM talk about that I've heard of you know we're Christian but are we? And how serious do we take this this matter? So when you find something that's contrary to Scripture, what do you do? Throw the Scripture? How then you're a Christian nation? How can you have Christian values? Uh, this is a paradox to me. And uh, I can't understand how we can uh, be so ambivalent about biblical principles when the Bible is so clear on these matters. I think we would all agree that in homes around Antigua, around the Caribbean, <clears throat> for that matter, around the world, there is abuse of corporal punishment, and the line is being crossed, and uh, children are being abused. 
with that in mind, do you think it would be wise for a government, no matter where, to invest in training parents and reprogramming parents and educating them on where that line is between appropriate punishment, appropriate discipline, appropriate corporal punishment, and abuse? Look, I think the Prime Minister of Antigua, Mr. Brown, uh, he met with a gentleman um, from the Philippines, um, and uh, there was to be a program that would was it was supposed COVID interrupted everything, but there was a program uh, where it was going to try to focus on the home and the family, uh, and that would have come into the picture of how to deal with children and stuff like that. Uh, there's no question that the answer to this whole problem is to try to adequately train parents in and child child mothering and child rearing. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Um, the church has a, a role to play in that as well. And I think that the church should probably offer some classes uh, dealing with those type of matters. Uh, <coughs> when it comes into like uh, premarital counseling as well, those are issues that need to be discussed within the premarital context. If you're going to have children, who's going to handle discipline, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I do think that the PM, the Prime Minister, was uh, in line, and I think that he was really, really thinking seriously about the breakdown of the home in the Caribbean and in Antigua, and. Uh, this gentleman, I forgot his name right off the bat. Magalong? Mag- Mag- Magalong, Magalong, yes. Uh, a, a tremendous speaker, very affable person, very knowledgeable. Uh, I thought he was supposed to bring back a program that would have helped uh, to rebuild and help families who really want to rebuild their home and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the, the, the COVID came in. And uh, that has disrupted everything. I hope it's still in, in part of the plans, but I do agree with you, Nathan, that uh, the proper way of discipline need to be taught. It's not something. And here's it as well. A lot of our parents never discipline us the way we should. I mean, I got some licks I can tell you out of this world uh, that I, <laughs> I I call my mom blessed, I call my father blessed, but uh, the way they handled me, <laughs> it today would probably be called abuse, mm-hmm. right? But I do feel that uh, the reason why they did it is because their parents didn't know how to do it, and their parents didn't know how to do it, so it, it, it continues. We don't stop discipline. We just show how it should be properly administered. That's what's needed. Because to stop the discipline now really is going to create more havoc in the family. I can see, for example, if a mom is not permi- uh, permitted or uh, to use a rod on a child when he deserves it, I can see frustration building it to such an extent that they could do something really drastic. Mm. Because if I can't use the rod when the boy needs it, and he keeps harassing and harassing and harassing, I can reach the point where I can lose my mind and maybe... I can't tell you what could happen, but it could be something even worse than having to use the rod. So I can see something even more drastic happening. But the proper thing is how to properly use the rod when you're dealing, uh, or the, the, the belt or the paddle when you're dealing with the child. Listener from a question, Pastor Murphy, how important is it that the mother and father be on the same page in relation to discipline? Very crucial. As a matter of fact, children play one parent against the other, and that is one of the basic principles when you're talking about discipline in the home, uh, that the more, both of them must agree on uh, discipline, 
And uh, if there is discipline being done, even though the other partner might disagree, that the offense was not worthy of whatever it is, that should be discussed privately, not in front of the child. So the child, the parent intervenes at that point in time, unless, of course, it's something extremely brutal uh, or something abusive. But both parents should be on the same page, same song, uh, same uh, song, sing the same song <laughs> when it comes to discipline. The other thing I would say about this, uh, Nathan, is that leaving the discipline for the daddy to come home is one of the worst things you could ever do. He's now seen as the disciplinarian and uh, the mother is, is, uh, and she's got to be very careful if something is done that is worthy of, of, of discipline it should be done and done expeditiously and quickly uh, it is very very psychologically tormenting for a child to commit an offense 9 o'clock in the morning and all that time he's waiting all during the day until daddy comes home at 5 o'clock uh, that um, is something that needs to be addressed uh, there are times when you would say that, but again, if it is something that is really, really worthy of uh, the rod, um, the, the sooner you give it to the child and the connection with the offense can be linked. Because, because children have very small attention span and very small memories, as a matter of fact. Uh, so you need to make sure that both parents are online, uh, but also there are times when both need to exercise to just, just make one person disciplinary and the other one uh, is just the one who expresses sentiment and love and compassion it um, it can create a problem there between the children and the parents Pastor what advice do you have to parents and teachers in respect to the use of corporal punishment well I would say to uh, both parents and teachers um, that they need to know when to punish and use corporal punishment I think they sh- you should try to decide what are the offenses that uh, need to be punished corporally. In my judgment, I think such things as defiance, willful defiance. I think uh, raw disrespect uh, for the teacher or for the parent. I think clear rebellion. Uh, she's putting her fist in your face almost. You tell her to do something. It's very, very clear. Uh, there's a war between uh, of wills. I think that. Also, I think uh, physical violence, where the person injures another person, and you've repeatedly told them about it, and they still do violence to another person. Then Im- immoral behavior, for sure, uh, needs to need, might need to use the, the corporal. Not talking about that may not be enough to deal with it. And then in, in some cases, I really think that repeated failure to do homework might require, uh, in some cases, to use the rod by a teacher. Uh, <laughs> again, it's not the first resort. It's not the second resort. But I think if you been dealing with this problem for a fairly long time. You've talked to the parents, and the parents indicate that the child is not making the effort. I do feel that something more drastic might be needed rather than talk. If talk is not working, uh, it may very well be that you need to use the rod in that regard. And the rationale would be it's willful defiance? Well, not only willful defiance, it's, it's in my judgment, they're not... Uh, valuing their education. I think that's important as well. I think you're at an age, now you're in school, and you don't see the importance of, of that. And then I think sometimes, too, it's, how should I put it? Um, it is utilizing the the sympathy of the parent uh, who doesn't want to exercise, uh, make a comment. I have said this in our church, and I will say it online, I would be a dummy today if there wasn't a rod in school. 
I did not learn because I like learning. I learned because I had to learn. Now, there are some people who might be born with a book in their hand. I wasn't born that way. And I don't know many people who are born that way as well. I don't know many people who like to do certain subjects. But again, if there are no consequences um, to, to the uh, doing the homework, etc., cetera, et cetera um, my education would have suffered. <clears throat> Pastor, we have a call from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, Mr. Williams. Go ahead with your question, please. Good night, good night, Tripanil. Good night, sir. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. God bless. Okay. Uh, Murphy, yes, sir. Uh, which part in the Bible tell you that if you have to take communion, that God has to talk to you? And did you have a comment that we have to take communion as often as we did it in His name? Well, look, uh, communion, it, there's no reference, there's no passage in the scriptures that talk about uh, God had to talk to you when you take communion, for sure. So um, there's no passage there. You can search it from uh, Genesis to Revelation. You can use three different concordances if you want to. Uh, it's not there. The other thing is that we're never told <coughs> how frequently to observe the Lord's Supper. Okay, some people do it once a month. Some do it every week. Uh, some do it longer than that. But it all depends. Uh, it's important, though, that it, it be done, but there's no uh, particular time in, in terms of how frequently you should do it. Uh, the other thing is that there are some churches that, that practice it close communion. I've been in one church in Antigua where they're doing communion. I was not allowed to partake of it because they, they, it's what is called close communion, only the people who are members of that church. So each church um, has a different method of doing it, but there's no uh, there's no biblical regulation as to how frequent it. In the New Testament, it was done daily. Uh, you read the Book of Acts, and daily from house to house in the breaking of bread. Uh, I don't have any church that does it daily. I don't have any church that does it weekly. Uh, most churches uh, do it on uh, once a month, etc. But uh, if it's wrong that if you have your family that at home that you can take communion at your home, if well, I've never thought about that, to be very honest with you, but generally it takes place within the setting where you've got a pastor or deacons who administer that. But I've never really thought about that. I think I was, if I was banished on an island somewhere with my family, uh, and I, I, could see, I, could, I could see us doing that. I could see us doing that if it was banished and there was no other place and I was, you know, abandoned, whatever it is. Uh, I could see um, taking that that step and observing the Lord separate out of respect for Scripture and respect for the Lord. I could see myself doing that. But in the circumstances where you're going to a local church, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, I, I don't know if you can say it's right or it's wrong, to be very honest with you. But I think it's part of our tradition that it normally takes place in the church, and either pastor or deacons normally would administer the communion service. But I don't think you can say a point blank. There's any biblical reference that say it has to be, it cannot be done uh, in the home, or it cannot be done with an individual. Okay. When I when I go to um, the, those who are um, sick or shut-ins, I've I've done communion in the home uh, with shut-ins. Yes. Yes. Okay. Your second, second question, no question. Yes, sir. Uh, if you have a, a, a family member that you invite into church and they ain't coming at all, at all, at all, I want to get to know in the long run the demonic possess. And then they invite you, they invite themselves to come to church with you. 
You have a right to tell them no, not to come go in the next church because you're afraid they demonic possess. <clears throat> I, 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 I don't know how you would know they possess. No, if you get to know, and by the way, they. Uh-huh. I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have any problem with uh, a person who walks into the church. Uh, it depends if they're going to disturb the service. They're going to sit and listen. I'm not too sure what's going to happen. I think you're going to have to use your judgment on that one. Uh, <laughs> but that may be the place exactly where that person can be helped. So you don't want to uh, uh, prevent the possibility of that person getting help. You don't know if the pastor preaches a message. And it's a word, a word that really um, gets through to that person. It might result in, in deliverance. Uh, on the other hand, if they're going to come into the church and create all kinds of noise and confusion so that these pandemonium breaks out in the church, I think in a case like that, I would I'd rather that they desist from uh, disturbing the church and not, not, not come into that setting. But I think it depends uh, on, on that matter. Okay, then. Okay, sir. Thanks very much. Thanks. God bless you. Say hi to the wife, please. Yeah, I do like Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good night, and thank you for your thought-provoking questions. Pastor, that last question he asked, would it ever be appropriate to uh, feel out the pastor of the church you're attending to kind to of give, to feel out, give a heads up to the pastor to say, I'm inviting this person. I think they're maybe coming this week. I, I think that's wisdom, to, to, uh, Nathan. I think it'd be wisdom because uh, you know, it's one thing to get some surprises that you're not prepared <laughs> for. At least he could actually pray up more if he needs to pray up or maybe call one or two of the people and ask the people to be praying because they learned that somebody don't have to give them all the details but we might <coughs> might have a problem tonight and uh, just ask the person to pray so I do think it'd be good to give the pastor ups on that matter without just um, unilaterally uh, inviting the person if you know that the person is demonized or demon possessed any other advice you'd like to give to teachers or parents <coughs> well look I would just want people to know that children thrive in an atmosphere of genuine love, but they also want um, discipline that is uh, reasonable and that is consistent. Uh, so it's not just an atmosphere of love. It has to be undergirded uh, with this matter of, of reasonable discipline and consistent discipline because that gives them a, a level of security. I don't have anybody who would feel that they're valued or they belong to a group or to a family if they can do anything and never get disciplined. Think mm. of what that really means. Uh, the fact that I can't get unluck and tolerance and permissive to shape the child's attitudes and behavior because the child is born naturally going astray. And that's where we got to understand that discipline is essential part of the learning process. To create the pedagogical atmosphere where learning takes place, it requires the efficiency of discipline. Without that, I don't know how you can have an atmosphere where the child wants to learn. So um, teachers and parents need to understand that discipline is mandatory, it's essential. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just something that has to be there to create the environment that is conducive to learning. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio <coughs> Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM. 
92.3 MHz FM and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. For this program on Tuesday evenings, we are also on Facebook Live. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can watch the program behind the scenes, listen to the program, and comment your questions right there all on your device and we will pass them along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. There are other ways you can communicate with us, and we look forward to your communication. You can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text, 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, as you've been answering the questions, you a number of times, even tonight, have referenced psychology in a negative light. Now, it almost go as far as to say that you seem to have a disdain for psychology. Is all psychology wrong? And <coughs> if not, what specific advice do you have for knowing what ways to deal with children and what psychology to accept? Look, um, Christianity is never in a clash with true science. I want to be very, very clear. There's nothing that true science teaches that is contrary to Christianity. That's the first thing I need to establish. True science has to do with observation, experimentation, verification, and repetition, basically. And science deals with the phenomenal world and also deals with the material world. But when it steps outside its domain and begins to deal with moral and spiritual issues uh, and deal with the invisible and the immaterial it has gone outside its scope, outside its realm. And it comes up not with uh, science, it comes up with theories and hypotheses that are often contrary to Scripture. And Sorry. Pastor, we have a question coming from, or a call from Nevis. Nathan, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Yes, good evening. Good evening, well, Nathan. Um, I have a question Go right ahead, sir. From First Corinthians 15, uh-huh. verses 51 and 52. All okay. right, I've got those here. First Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What's your question, sir? Yes, what I really want to know. Mm -hmm. Paul says the the change would be at the last trump. Yes, sir. When would be the last trump? Which trumpet would you say would be the last trump? Well, I would interpret that to mean the last trump before the believers are raptured. The last trump here is not the last trump in Revelation because if you read the book of Revelation, uh, there are things that come after the last trump in Revelation. So it cannot be the same. This is dealing, the, and, and, and remember the last trump in Revelation has to do with the tribulation period. This has to do with the rapture of the church, taken to the church. So the, the confusion that people have is they try to, you remember some time ago you wrote about, uh, some people asked me about the bride, 
Uh, and uh, yeah. there's a bride in Revelation. There's also a bride in the New Testament. The church is a bride. So people think that yeah, the bride yeah. in Revelation is, the, you know, when is it actually New Jerusalem coming down? I think you asked another question some time ago. Um, oh, I can't remember what it was at, off off the bat, but we were trying to make... Uh, wedding had to do with the wedding feast or something like that you would ask a question yes. right 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 when so they return from the wedding right the thing that people do is because they see uh similar expressions they assume that it is referring to the same thing but many times in scripture you can see that there's a reference and it has a dual application but clearly here the last trump here is referring to the Calling the believer, we are, we should not sleep, but then we should all be, be rise, etc., etc. That's not the rapture. The one in Revelation has not to do with the rapture; is deal with the trumpet of judgment that come upon the earth during the tribulation period. So then, the last trump has nothing to do with the trumpet calling Revelation. No, if you, you you can you can look at both verses and see that it can't, because one is dealing with the tribulation period, which occurs after the rapture. This one in, in uh, Corinthians is dealing with the rapture of the church. Two different things altogether. But it's like the Trump uh, is uh, just, uh, I would interpret that to mean the, the Trump before the judgment begins. The last Trump before the judgment begins in the book of Revelation. And in order to believe it can call away with this last. And remember that the trumpet is always, if you look in the uh, Old Testament, uh, sometimes it's called to bring the people together for military action. Sometimes it's called to make the people aware that they're going to do uh, certain sacrifices. It depends on the use of the trumpet. But in this case, it's a trumpet that calls people together. Uh, because we're all going up, those who are dead and those who are still alive, we'll be, be taken up. That's the, the, the trumpet that will call us up. That's the last trumpet that will call us up. But it's not the same in Revelation. Revelation has to do with the judgment on planet Earth during the tribulation period. And if you read the context of the one, the last trumpet in Revelation, you see it has nothing to do with the rapture. Uh, at all, it's part of the judgment of God, final judgment on God, of God on planet Earth during the tribulation period. Yes, and also in Matthew, he says he will send his angel with its shout of a trumpet, mm -hmm. and will gather his elect from the four winds. Uh huh. That has nothing to do with it either. No, but again, if you read, if you read that. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 24, what's your, what's your passage again? I think it's 31. Should be 31. Matthew 24, let's look at it for just a minute. Matthew 24, 31 says, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, if you read the verse before that, it gives you an idea what it's talking about. Read verse 30. Verse 30 says, And then shall appear the, son, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Again, if you check that with uh, Revelation chapter 1, I think it's verse 14, they talk about the same thing. They'll see him and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll wail for him as a woman in travail. It's talking about Christ coming back in his glory. Right? He's not dealing with the rapture. He's coming back in his glory. But he's selecting in verse 31, he sent his angels to collect who? His elect. elect. Look, that has to do with his, all of the all of the um, during the tribulation period, <coughs> when the Antichrist scatters, 
all the Jews into tribulation, etc., because he's going to try to destroy Israel. God will have 144,000 Jews that will go be evangelists all over the world. Now that he's coming back, finally, this is that this final end of all these judgments. He's now coming back, and they're now seeing this one coming back in his glory. And he's now selecting his elect, all the saints from all over who have been scattered, the Jews who have been scattered, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of their witness. She's now gathering all the believers that are scattered during the tribulation period because of the Antichrist trying to destroy the nation of Israel. Okay. Have a good mess. Okay. I... Thank you very much for your call, Nathan. I appreciate it. Pastor, if we backed up one more verse to Matthew twenty four twenty nine, mm-hmm. the beginning phrase says immediately after the tribulation. So right there, it sets the context right. for those three verses. Correct. We appreciate you <coughs> listening, Nathan. We appreciate you calling in with your questions. And we appreciate you desiring to figure out what the Bible says and how you can apply it to your life and live accordingly. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 846. We are honored that you are listening to That's Truth, and we are talking about the topic of corporal punishment tonight. Yeah, I would like to say to Nathan, he's listening, uh, it's worth investing. I'm not too sure. I know you, you, you might be a retiree. I'm not too sure your financial situation. But one of the great books that you can invest in if you wanted to, and if you had the funds of doing that, is a book called Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. Uh, I think in terms of Bible prophecy, that is probably one of the best books you could ever buy in investing. And I would recommend if you're really a little bit uncertain about certain uh, things in respect to uh, eschatology, uh, things to come, prophecy, I would suggest that uh, if you have a friend overseas or family overseas and your birthday is coming up or an anniversary or something and they ask you what do you want, Things to Come, Dwight Pentecost, a great book. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 846. Pastor, right before that call, you were beginning to answer the question about whether you have a disdain for psychology and when it is effective and useful in disciplining a child. Yeah, I was I was just pointing out, Nathan, that, you know, Psychology has its uh, distinct realm t- to be involved in, but when it steps into a realm dealing with morals and spirituality and dealing with the invisible, etc., etc., I think it gone outside. It. I, and the word psychology, by the way, has to do with the study of the soul, basically. That's the word psychic, the word soul. They don't know anything about the soul. The, the, the best thing about the, that, uh, the best book about the soul is the Bible. It tells, it tells you about that. So they stepped into a realm, but basically, psychology is about human behavior. Okay, but, <laughs> so modern psychology is based on a lot of hypotheses and theories that are non-verifiable and often conflict with scripture. Uh, for instance, you take Freud. Freud is a man that created the unconscious. There was no no such thing as unconsciousness before Freud came on. He's the one that make you believe that the unconscious controls you. Now again, you think about that for just a moment. So I'm not responsible because I'm controlled by an unconscious. The Bible doesn't talk about any unconscious. The Bible talks about a sinful nature in you that drives you. So he has substituted the sin nature and brought in the unconscious. That's where we have conflict, okay? And again, you can't prove the unconscious, quite frankly. It's not something you can put on the test tube and look through a microscope. It's a hypothesis, a theory, and it conflicts with Scripture. Can you prove a sin nature? Well, you can't prove that either, but again, it depends on what you believe, psychology, believe the scriptures. For me, the Bible is infallible. It's God's word. If God says we have a sin nature that drives us and these lusts and these desires drives us, uh, either the choices for man is very simple. You either, and you know, I've said this on on the thing, there are only basically two sources of information, 
human information and God's information, quite frankly. The only two sources of knowledge, basically. So you've got to decide whether you go in the direction of what man says or the direction of what God says, okay? So it's a choice that people make. I made that choice, and everybody needs to make that choice. But for me, when psychology or science contradicts Scripture, I don't throw out Scripture. I throw out these false teachings because they're, they're false. They cannot be correct. Because if, if God is God and God has given us his word, uh, whatever God has said and God has revealed is absolute truth. Uh, and it's a matter of whether you believe God or believe man. For me, let God be true and every man a liar. So that's, that's one of the debates. But, but take Freud. Look what confusion he's created in the world today. He hasn't made the world any better by this theory of the unconscious. What he's done, he's made people feel they're not responsible for what's happening and what they're doing. The other thing with Freud, of course, he talks about sexual repression. Now, all your psychological hang-ups is because that you your your sexual desires are repressed. For the time you were young, you want to express yourself because you can't express yourself sexually because the Bible puts all these restrictions on you. So his idea was that get rid of this sexual repression and liberate man. That's where we get the sexual freedom in the 60s. Mm. It all came from that liberate people sexually because they got all these repressed problems that is creating all these problems for them. Again, psychology has done that and we haven't lived that down to Day, we are in a condition because of that. Take Skinner with the environment. Uh, he's saying that the environment is deterministic, that your environment determines who you become. Again, that's not true. Uh, the Bible, you had a perfect environment and yet man fell. So the environment affects uh, you, but it doesn't determine your destiny. But the environment, those who, who believe in that, uh, believe in determinism of the environment, the and that's why you put so much emphasis today on, you know, it's the ghettos or it's, it's the poverty what, that make people do what they're doing. That's all based on this psychological teaching. We don't say that these things don't influence people, but that's not the driving force the Bible talks about the heart. <coughs> Take about uh, Roger, for example, with his non-directive counseling that you must not tell a person what to do. So what's the purpose of counseling then? See, And you cannot read the book of Proverbs and the Bible without seeing that we are t- told to exhort, we are told to reprove. So if you embrace the idea that you shouldn't tell people what to do, what do you come to me for then? Right? Uh, but again, that doesn't mean that everything Roger says is bad. He has some good ideas that you could borrow from him. But I'm saying to take the psychology carte branch and accept everything they're saying without using this. I just parrot off everything I've heard without um, weighing them against Scripture is where the error is being made in the church, is being made in seminaries, is being made by Christians because some PhD says this. It is correct, even though it's contrary to Scripture. That just shows you that you don't value the Scriptures. Uh, I take Maslow. With his hierarchy of needs, uh, Maslow said that unless your lower needs are met, you can't reach the higher needs, and so everything is determined on meeting the lower needs, and it goes up a hierarchy. Now, there's, there's some truth to that, but that's not true in every case, quite frankly. But he said you have to have your physical needs met, then your love needs met, and then your security needs met, uh, and then. Um, uh, your recognition met, and then you go up to your self-actualization basically and he's saying you can't get up top there until all these below are met that is folly quite frankly but it's useful 
as a tool to understand that people do have physical needs and quite frankly unless you feel love you don't feel significant but that doesn't mean that I can't go from the bottom to the top salvation sometimes bring me from the bottom right to the top it's all humanistic etc so I am not against um, psychology in its totality but I am against psychology that goes outside of its realm and then comes up with theories that completely contra- contradict the, the, the scriptures. Uh, that thing is completely wrong. For example, Nathan, we were talking about a moment ago about uh, child discipline. And uh, <coughs> Piaget has got a theory of development about four different stages that a child goes through. Anybody who's done educational psychology, for example, would know this a very, very useful theory. Uh, for example, he talked about within the first 18 months from 1 to 18 you've got what is called the, the sensory motor stage that's where the child basically is using his muscles and using his senses he's now exploring that is useful for a parent to understand that so I let my child during that age explore the whole I give him the whole room I make every I let him that that helps to develop him right and then of course you move from that to what is called the, the pre-operational stage as it were that's from age 18 to age 6 and that's where the child uh, can't co- is not very cognitive, but sees things in symbols. And that's why you see all these charts in primary schools, because they like uh, visual imagery and stuff like that, and they want all kinds of symbols. So, uh, again, it's good for me if I'm teaching to understand uh, at that age, that's what I need to do. And that's one of the most commendable things that when you go into uh, primary schools, you see all these decorative charts and all these different things. When I was a boy, I saw none of those. <laughs> but he has helped uh, children, to, uh, teachers to understand what is involved in, in dealing. And then, of course, you've got the concrete operational stage that he talks about. Uh, it's still not at the logical stage, but think in concrete forms. And that's why the children have to handle things uh, etc. They also have reached what you might call is something called uh, the conservation theory, where at that age, which is uh, age six to eleven, they know if you pour water in a broad cup and you pour it in a thin cup, even though the thin cup would make it seem longer, they understand it's the same level of water at that stage, but they cannot know it at the pre-operational stage. That helps teachers to know when they're teaching science, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, you come to the final stage which is called the formal stage, when you can use abstract thought, etc., etc. And that goes from age 12 and up. By knowing the different developmental stage uh, of the child and what is proper to teach at that stage, it helps. That is good psychology. That is something you can embrace and encourage your teachers to look at. But when you come into the realm when you're telling me about the unconscious controlling me and that the environment determines my future, and when you begin to tell me that i got these repressed sexual desires in me that create all my problems in life, and what I need is to have sex free and free so that I can have all these repressed repressed, uh, emotions (laughs) resolved, I've gone beyond Scripture. I've now gone into the realm of hypotheses and theories that are contrary to Scripture. I reject that in its totality. So it's not against psychology. It's against pseudo-psychology, or what we call scientism, uh, is the word that is used today for that kind of, 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 of science. Pastor, there are a lot of people out there in the world today <clears throat> that have opinions or thoughts as to how you can have a right relationship with God and have... <coughs> Uh, prosperity, if you want to call it that, in the afterlife. What does the Bible say? There's only one way to have a relationship between God and a person, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the mediator. 
He is the go-between. He is the ladder between which uh, heaven and earth communicates. He is the one that you have to come to and put your faith and trust in. And he has said very clearly in his own word, in his own words, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. So if we want a relationship with God, we must come to, to God through his Son to establish that relationship. And that is done by putting your faith and trust in Christ, repenting of your sins, and believing the gospel. Is there anything that can be added to that? People try to add things to it. They try to add the church. They try to add uh, communion. They try to add confirmation. They try to add tongues. They try to add all these um, um, acquiescences. But they they just are additions that are contrary to Scripture. Uh, these are things that should follow a person being saved. I mean, you want to be baptized, you want to be part of a church, you want confirmation where uh, you're, you're trained in basic Bible doctrines, etc., etc. Um, you might want to get involved and use your gifts, etc., etc. But they don't add uh, to this matter of your salvation or add to your relationship with, with, uh, with, with God. It all comes through faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. If I'm looking for a church... What should be the criteria that I should follow? A uh, simple criteria. I look for church that has the Word of God is being preached consistently, and especially I would suggest to you uh, expositorily. Uh, I look for church where they are involved in missions. I would never conceive myself of joining a church that's not involved in missions. Missions is the mandate of the church, and uh, a church is a New Testament church which has some kind of missions program. Whether you're supporting two missionaries or three missionaries or sending out somebody else, I think missions are essential. The other thing is the capacity to use your gift and your talent. You just don't want to join a church where it is so large and so excessive that you just sit down on a sponge. You want to be able to be used by God in that ministry, and your talents can be used within that, that location uh, uh, and I think also you find a church where you think there's not you think there's a sense of love you, people care about each other and that becomes very clear after you're there that they really love each other and care about each other those are four basic principles when it comes to finding a church when finding a church pastor does it determine whether I'm going to be a Christian or not no a Christian should join churches uh, churches don't make you Christians so you have to be a Christian before you join the church Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. Be sure you tune in next week where, Lord willing, we'll continue this topic of corporal punishment. Be sure to encourage others to tune in also. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.